One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to On the Continent on Football Ramble Daily. I'm Luke Moore. And I'm Andy Brassel. And coming up today, we're going to talk a bit about Antoine Griezmann at Barcelona. Could he really be moving on this early into his fledgling Barcelona career? We'll talk about the sad death of former Real Madrid president Lorenzo Sanz. We'll talk about two of the brightest coaches working in Europe at the moment. And one of them you might be a bit familiar with. And then, four years this week since his passing, we'll celebrate the life of Johan Cruyff. But before we get into that, I do want to give another re-up for the Football Ramble Daily Patreon. Thank you very much to everyone who's supported so far. There's lots of extra benefits that come along with being a patron on Football Ramble Daily, there is the Mailbag Show, which Andy is invariably a part of, where you get to ask questions about football. There is Ramble On, a weekly highlights and unheard um, package of audio as well. There's membership of the Discord, where you can chat with us and uh, other listeners on what is essentially a massive WhatsApp group. There's loads of loads of benefits, and you can sign up for as little as $5 a month, or you can donate um, whatever you want. Um, and also, if you sign up before Friday, the 27th of March, so at the time of recording, that's tomorrow at 5 p.m., you'll be entered into the draw to win a signed Paul Gascoigne 1990 England shirt. Uh, and, the, and the higher the tier you sign up, the more chance you've got to win. 
So yeah, that's patreon.com forward slash football ramble daily. Do sign up on there and uh, and support us. It's really uh, very much appreciated. And thank you to everyone who's done so, so far. Right. That's the admin out of the way. Andy, um, I was absolutely stunned. Um, and perhaps you weren't because you know a lot more about European football than me. But I was stunned to read that sport, the Catalan sport newspaper, are reporting that um, Antoine Griezmann may soon be moved on from Barcelona, not a year into his career there. Um, what did you make of this news and what do you think it means for Barcelona more generally? Well, Luke, I think that Barcelona have to be flexible in a time like this and uh, examine all possibilities. Um, I, I mean, we talk about and we have talked about all the clubs over the world that are going to be affected by the financial implications of the coronavirus crisis. Um, but I think maybe because they're such a, a behemoth within European and world football, people haven't really considered Barcelona as, as, as one of these. Um, the, the fact is, um, if they don't bank all their, their money for the remaining uh, TV rights of the season... Um, they, they could have a bit of an issue. You know, they're, they're a, a team that has spent a lot of money in the transfer market um, that needs to get back in the straight and narrow in, in, in the Champions League, um, that's still battling to win La Liga when, of, of course, um, we, we hope football comes back. Um, but, but they've got a lot of financial obligations and um, Barcelona have not had that bottomless pit um, for, a, for a very, very long time. Um, of course, they've... Um, had to take on loans and um, debt restructuring and all, all the rest of it a, a couple of times in this century to to get themselves out of the hole. But really, I think it just does go back to those transfer missteps. And um, you, you look at where they are with um, their biggest two signings before Griezmann, um, Felipe Coutinho and Usman Dembele. And, and both of those essentially are, you know, over 100 million euro deadweights at the moment. Um, so that, that they are going to struggle to shift either of those. Um, the fact that there's clearly not been a, a wonderful chemistry between um, Griezmann and the pair of uh, Leo Messi and, and, and Luis Suarez is, is, is probably an issue. Of course, those two very close off the pitch as, as well. Tell us more it. about that, Andy, because is that, is that a personal thing or is that just a, a the fact that Griezmann's come from a club where he's been playing very different styles of football uh, at Atletico or is it a bit of both? Well, I think it's a bit of both. I, I think um, you, you can't underestimate the fact that he has come from a very different style of football and he was playing a very different role in the team as well because he was the centrepiece rather than a subordinate one. Um but I, I do think the fact that they're so close, Messi and Suarez, and that they have been for a, a number of years, and all of a sudden someone else is, is is thrown into the mix, it has taken a bit of a while to find that click. I would suggest, actually, that in recent weeks, before uh, the current hiatus, there had been um, suggestions that Griezmann and, and, and Messi were starting to, to, to make a link between the pair of them. Um but of course, there are a couple of side effects of the current hiatus. The, one of them is the fact that Luis Suarez will probably be back fit by the time that, that, that football resumes. Now, I think that has an issue on the, the, the sort of team that Barcelona um, put out. And, you know, it wouldn't be the first time that Barcelona had 
had signed a player and a forward player thought, yeah, stylistically this isn't happening and then flogged him a, a year later. Now they'll, they'll hope that they don't take as much of a financial hit as they did when they moved on Zlatan Ibrahimovic after that one season. Mm. Um, but Yeah, I feel, I feel, it's, sorry, I was, I was just going to say that, I mean, you touched on it a little bit um, a second ago, but Usman Dembele, okay, that's a, probably a, a bit of bad luck and, and, and he's had it because of the injury problems he's had. The Philip Coutinho thing to me feels a bit like because they could sign him, they got so hell-bent on doing so because it was such an elongated saga, they just didn't stop to think too much about whether he would fit or not. And then you've got the Griezmann thing now. I said to you when we chatted about this the other day that I think perhaps it's a little bit early to make a judgment on him. But yeah. if you take all those as red and then you read into the fact that they're being linked with Neymar and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, it's, it just makes me feel like as a layman, like what is going on over there? I mean, it's just, off the pitch, it just seems to be completely ill-thought-out and ill-judged and, and chaotic. Yeah, and it has been for a while. And um, Neymar's been a huge part of that. Remember when uh, Ernesto Valverde took over, one of his key triumphs really was um, putting the lid back on the bottle, uh, calming things down, getting the team mm. winning, um, certainly domestically. And really uh, covering the board for a lot of the criticism they were um, receiving from hardcore Barcelona, match-going Barcelona fans um, for what those fans saw as the incompetence of of the way they'd been blindsided over the Neymar deal. And that was just really um, the cherry on the cake of a a load of like board pratfalls, really. So, I mean, I I think the, the fact that the thinking is is muddied and, and and not particularly sharp is something that's not a massive surprise, I, I think, to anyone who's, who's followed Barcelona. All I would say is in this time, with so many moving parts and with the fact that there's all this money locked in uh, Coutinho and Dembele, and even if they were able to sell them tomorrow, what, what kind of loss would it be at? You know, it would be an enormous loss to the, to, to the club and a loss that really no club out there could particularly afford. Um, they they need to be thinking outside the box. So immediately, I think the temptation is to project this as Griezmann's failure, his failure to either get on with um, Messi and Suarez in a meaningful personal way or secondly, to make a meaningful impact on the pitch. Now, I, I agree with you. I think it can be seen as a little bit too soon. But... I think they owe it to themselves, Barcelona, to explore every possibility if they do want to refresh and regenerate this squad. And and, and they really do, because some of those players, of course, it will take time for them to to grow and adapt. And I'm, I'm thinking of Frankie de Jong, for example. But David Cartledge was telling us a, a week ago, a couple of weeks ago, they've not taken their eye off Matthias de Ligt. So they need some sort of liquidity in the next year or two. And... You know, it, it it seems a weird thing to say because they've only just bought bought him. But how many more chances are they going to have to sell Griezmann if it might not be working, or and it might not be the ideal that they thought it would be? Is is this is this? I'll take your point. But is this a situation where if you are a forward player signing for Barcelona in this era, you need to essentially be able to do? whatever Leo Messi or Luis Suarez tells you to do, play in exactly the way they want you to play 
And if you don't fit in, you're in big trouble because the, because the, the coaching role at Barcelona is clearly quite transient. Yes, but players like particularly Messi, who is synonymous with the club and and will be a far have a far greater impact to the club when he leaves than any coach would. Is it a case of that you've got to fall into line, particularly if you're a forward player, when you sign in this era? Because otherwise you're not going to get anywhere because they're not going to like it and they're not going to stand for it. And it's, it's really not ideal, is it, if you're moving to the timeline of someone who's into his 30s now, even if he is the greatest player in the world. I think that's an absolute issue. And um, you're right with Suarez as well. I think the fact that he's been away from the pitch for a while can almost make us forget the fact that before he was injured, the talk was and had been for most of this season, they've got to find a medium-term replacement for him because he's not going to last forever. People were talking about him moving to MLS, for example, as soon as this year because he has had consistent injury trouble with with, with that knee. So um, I think pinning your plan to either of those two players, again, is, is, is not ideal thinking. And... You know, I, th- I think you've got these issues all over the team. Really, is of course we think of the forward players first um, because they're they're animated by Messi. But I think if you go further back in the team, um, you know, there's the viable question of uh, do De Jong and Busquets fit in the same team? And even though Busquets is only 31, is he past his best? I think there is an argument to say yes. Um, yeah. I, I, th- I think you look elsewhere on on the pitch and. Say that, see that Rakitic and Vidal have been really, really important to them this season. And, you know, they would have sold both of those in the last year if, if they could have done. So, you know, Barcelona have a total identity crisis. And certainly in terms of the project they've had over the last year and a half, two years of making the team younger, for now at least, it's not worked. Yeah, I think Busquets is a, is a is an interesting one, chiefly because um, he's only he's a type of player who's only ever going to be as good as the players around him because he's a facilitator. He's a he's a kind of get the ball, give the ball type player. I understand that if he as he gets older, he won't be able to win the ball back or intercept as much as he did in the past. But when he came up playing with Xavi and Iniesta either side of him, and he would just facilitate them. And, and hardly ever give the ball away. It is going to be a case of that it's going to be diminishing returns if the players around him in that midfield aren't as good as those players and no one is as good as those players. So I feel, I feel a little bit for him, but I, I absolutely take your point. So on going back to circling around then, going back to, to Griezmann, I mean, I was, I was stunned when I first read this, but now you've explained it, I do f- get it a little bit more but is your feeling that he will move on then or is because of everything that's going on at the moment is it just too difficult to say I think it's too difficult to say and I think it's also um, a transfer that's very very difficult to hang your hat on Mm. because we don't know what would the the candidates be I mean I don't really know what the options for him would be Um, well the the, the ones that were immediately mentioned by sport were all Premier League clubs now I, I think straight away you can rule Arsenal out of that um, mm. that, that to me seems really unlikely because even if they were to sell Aubameyang and Lacazette, how much would they get for players who have a certain amount left on, on, on their contract? Um, also, we have to bear in mind that Lacazette and Griezmann are, are, are quite close. And I know if you were Lacazette, would you say, yeah, go there, you'll win loads of trophies? 
I, I don't I don't know. I think that's something that's worth worth looking into as 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 well. Um and also because it would be a transfer where they would look to get back um most of the money that they spent, how many transfers of a hundred million plus do we see happening once football restarts? I'm not convinced that many to be They're all at Barca. <laughs> <laughs> Unless Barca want to sign in themselves, it's not going to happen. Is that what you're saying? Basically, what Barcelona are going to be like, I reckon, in four months' time. Like uh, you know, when um, there's there's that website where if if you're if you're going out for the evening and and you want a, a top of the range handbag to impress people, you rent it off this site for a, for a week. <laughs> I, I think Barcelona are going to be like that because they, they, they have a Barcelona section for their players. Yeah, they, they they can't shift any of these guys, so they, they, they're just gonna they're just gonna loan them all out. But obviously, that that has um, a knock on difficulty for them because, of course, this was one of the things mentioned in sport, like like the idea that they would loan Griezmann. I mean, I, I mean, if if they're not going to make any money from him, does it really make that much sense? I mean, he earns no. he earns less money than he did at Atletico, which I think's interesting as well so we're not talking of course they'd make a saving with the wages but if they're not getting rid of Coutinho and and Dembele and goodness knows what happens to Coutinho next season after Bayern don't permanently sign him I mean it is complicated as Facebook yeah I mean if they end up with that situation they'll have three players on loan who together add up to more of the total value than most of the football clubs in the world. Yes. Yes. That, that, that is the long and the short which, of it. Which is an incredible situation. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, we'll watch that un- 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 unravel with interest uh, and see how it develops. I mean, moving um, to the other biggest club in Spain, um, it's really sad to see the, 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 the tragic death of Lorenzo Sanz, ex-Real Madrid president, uh, through uh, coronavirus earlier uh, this week, or, or I think the back end of last week. Um, if, if people listening aren't too familiar with Lorenzo Sanz, I would suggest it's possibly because other more high-profile presidents like Florentino Perez have stolen quite a lot of the limelight of Real Madrid. But Sanz was the guy who was in charge at Real Madrid when they they finally won their seventh European Cup, uh, a, a trophy they'd waited 32 years for, by the way. So never mind La Decima, which took ages to come around. Uh, La Septima took even longer. And Andy, he was a larger-than-life character who, who did an awful lot for what the club represents and what it's gone on to achieve, wasn't it? Yeah, um, it really was. And um, it, it's interesting that, that you point out that he's kind of overshadowed by other Real Madrid presidents because the the, the fact is um, Florentino Perez, as you just mentioned, directly followed him. And the first thing he did was sign Luis Figo and herald the start of the, the Galacticos era. Um, mm. So... Uh, you know, you, you can forget. I think if you go back to, um, if you go back to the, the the period of Lorenzo Sanz, the only way you can really define it is, I mean, he did win two Champions Leagues, but really it was all about the the, the nineteen ninety eight one against Juventus, uh, yeah. La Settima, because before we got obsessed with talking about La Decima, the tenth, it was La Settima, the 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 seventh, because. They'd gone over 30 years without winning the Champions League. Now, for Real Madrid, the team that had a hand in creating the Champions League 
under a, another previous president, Santiago Bernabeu, um, won the first five editions. For them not to, it, it made them who they are, the European Cup stroke Champions League. I mean, you, you can't yeah. say that enough if you're talking about um, the historical identity of, of Real Madrid. I remember uh, interviewing uh, Emilio Butragueno many years ago. Uh, when the Vulture. Was, uh, the Vulture, that's right. When uh, he was the sporting director of the club, um, overlooking the pitch at the, the Bernabeu, and him saying, what you have to understand is everything that Real Madrid are, the way we see ourselves and the way the world sees us is all about the European Cup Stroke Champions League. And if you'd have spoken to him that day, and in fact, nothing that I've heard from anyone of power at the club since has really convinced me of anything else than the thing that we always come back to, the fact that the Champions League is more important to them than La Liga. And I, I know Zidane said at the start of this season, for example, that uh, or, or at the end of last season, that our, our aim for 2019-20 uh, is to to win back La Liga. That's because he saw his squad. <laughs> <laughs> really, this is a tribute act here. Maybe, maybe he saw Barcelona's as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think I think that's a that's a possible argument. But um, the fact that Lorenzo Sanz was able to to do that and uh, and win that that game in, in, in 1998 uh, um, in Amsterdam. The fact that one of his signings, Predrag Mijatovic, um, scored the goal. Uh, these are all absolutely pivotal moments that were engraved in the heads of, of, of most Real Madrid supporters. And if you, if you think about it, I mean, you know, we can sort of talk about um, footballers a series of sliding doors moments can't we I mean Real Madrid actually had a pretty rotten 97-98 season because of course um, they won the Champions League and before we had the 2005 kerfuffle about Liverpool finishing out outside the the top four and then being uh, needed to needing to be stuck in the qualifiers so they could defend it the following season and of course we had a similar situation with uh Chelsea in 2012, which elicited the actual rule change. Um, it was Zaragoza who got the last Champions League place in 1998, and um, it's why I could never really understand like the the discussion in the pre- in Premier League circles over it um, because it was quite simple. But basically, once Real Madrid won the 1998 uh, Champions League, La Liga just said to Real Zaragoza, "Well." Sorry, but they've got to be in it. So off you go, and mm. um, and, and that was that was that really. I'm sure, that's a fairer way of doing it. <laughs> uh, you know, it was it's probably only people outside the, the, the only people who would have been bothered by it were people in Zaragoza and Barcelona. I think. Um, yeah. But having, having said that, um, it goes to show that um, legends are made by by fleeting moments and by chance as much as anything else. And Lorenzo Sanz, he always assumed all his, all his decisions, all his responsibilities. He was um, one of those presidents. He was, he was almost like a de facto sporting director as well. You know, he didn't mm. get out there and, uh, and make signings and it's what he really liked to do. He liked to get involved in actual scouting of players as well before he pulled the trigger on a deal. Um, of course, uh, Nicola and Elka, who, a lot of people will look at as one of his 
most successful ones. And you and I were looking at that old photo, weren't we, of like the day that Anelka yes. signed and Lorenzo, so young. Lorenzo Sands with his arm around him. And yeah, it looks like, you know, it could be could be like a junior relative or something like that, doesn't yeah. it? You know, godson or something like that. Um, it's, um, it, it's, it's funny because like, like people will look at that as one of the most unsuccessful signings, one of the most profligate signings of the Lorenzo Sands era. But you know what? He made a massive contribution in in the sharp end of that two thousand um, Champions League win, uh, you know he's brilliant in the in the in the semi finals. He was he was really really important in, in in that. So even he weighed in in a Champions League context. And as we said, you know that's the thing that counts above everything else at the at the, at the, at the Bernabeu. And um, you know he, he was a character who, who people really warmed to, even if historically he was. Almost well, not almost, just completely overshadowed by by the first Galacticos era. Yeah, I um, I was interested to read that when he finally delivered the seventh um, European Cup and then delivered another one afterwards, and I think it ended up being two European Cups in five years. I mean, after Real Madrid fans had two and, and three. And the whole- Two and three years, sorry, after the whole Real Madrid community had been so desperate for it, he was unceremoniously dumped not very long after that for an entirely new president. It just it is so funny from the outside looking in how fickle Real Madrid fans can can appear. And I think he tried to um, become president again for for another time, but it was 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 foiled in his attempt to do so. So I mean, look, his, his place in, in in history, not just in Real Madrid history or just in Spanish football history, but in football generally is secure. Um, very sad to see him uh, part, to see his passing and, and obviously we wish all the best to his to his family and friends. In by Roberto Carlos. Headed away as far as McManaman. A moment of brilliance from Steve McManaman. And the England international with both feet off the ground volleys this into the bottom corner near the midway point in the second half. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. 
Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash ramble. Andy, let, let's let's move across to um, two of the most interesting and brightest coaches in Europe as we as we record this this episode. Um, I said in the intro that people will be familiar with one of them, um, and 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 I think I'll start with him. That's um, Marseille's Andre Villas Boas. Now, give give people a quick sort of um, quick appraisal of what he's been up to since he left these shores and what position he finds himself in now. Because Marseille are doing very, very well. He's got some great performances out of some key players, um, and they're on an amazing run of form. And, and, and this break in the, in the football season has come at a terrible time for them. Um, but what, what, what do you make of what AVB has, has achieved so far at Marseille, and what has he been doing in the interim period, for those who can't quite remember? Well, maybe we should go through his entire career, actually, Luke, because you're looking at a guy who's... Only 40. So about 48 clubs, mate. So just do it quick. <laughs> Deep breath. But the, the, the fact is, at 42 years of age, he's done uh, Academica de Coimbra, Porto, Chelsea, Spurs, Zenit St. Petersburg, Shanghai SIPG, and now Marseille with a little. Remarkable. With, with, with a sabbatical in the middle between Chinese Super League and, and Ligue 1, which is extraordinary. And. Um, I think that the, the fact that once he went to first Zenit and then China, I mean, he always said he wasn't going to coach for for that long. He wasn't going to coach till he was like mid fifties or any, any, anything like that. He's always had an outdate. I think people wondered, you know, he, he took some time off after the birth of his his, his first child, and um, I, I think people wondered whether he would come back. To be perfectly honest, um, that there were. Uh, he was always someone who was quite impulsive and hot-headed. Um, of, of course, um, him and Jose Mourinho never really saw eye to eye on the fact that he left his um, staff at Inter to go and manage Academica, something that Mourinho wasn't completely on, on, on board with. What was that, Andy? Did he do just, just for selfish reasons from Jose Mourinho because he felt like it was too early for him? Or do you know the ins and outs of that? Well, Mourinho has, has, has always claimed that he never had an issue with it. Um, right. I, I'm, so he definitely did then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, yeah, I, I think that um, he, he relied on him and he would have missed him. But I, I think as well, he looked at that and he thought, well, Academica at the time were like rooted to the bottom of, of the Portuguese top flight. He thought, really? 
you know, I really think he he did look at it and think, is that the right move as well? I suspect there was a bit of selfishness in it as 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 well. Um, mm. But I mean, I mean, Village Boas always had this end date in mind, and he was he was he was never hanging about. I mean, it's amazing that he only had one season at Porto, one absolutely glorious season. Yeah. Um, but he went to Chelsea too soon. Then I think at Spurs he kind of rode back from his football principles having been stung a bit at Chelsea a bit too quickly. Yeah, is he too impulsive, Andy, on that note? Do you think he just he just kind of he's a bit of a windsock when things don't go quite well quite enough, well enough and he's not he doesn't sort of have the courage of his convictions, possibly because at that point he was quite a young man. Well, I, I, I do think he is gen, generally quite an impulsive character. I mean you look at how he left Zenit in the end when um, he was upset yeah. about um, the, the way they changed the rules regarding foreign players and he didn't really think he could he could work with it. It was something that led to the sale of uh, Salomon Rondon, of course, who uh, came over to the Premier League. From- God, imagine quitting over Salomon Rondon. It's <laughs> a mad situation, that. Uh, is, is it fair to say indicative of an issue <laughs> rather, <laughs> r- rather than a particular player? No offence, Salomon. Yeah. Um, yeah. But given all that has happened... I think that um, what he's done at Marseille has been absolutely remarkable because I think um, when he took over the job, he knew that um, that, that there were were financial limits. Um, He knew that the club had um, an issue with um, FFP. And yet he took it on thinking, yeah, you know what? I I can do something here. I can get us back into the Champions League. I don't think anyone who knew French football really believed he could get Marseille back into the, the the Champions League. And a huge part of that was he was expected along the line to to do some selling as as, as well. Um, I mean, obviously, they were looking to get rid of some of the biggest earners like uh, Kevin Strokeman, Dimitri Payet. They've not been successful in getting rid of either. But given that the club, as we've said on here before on OTC, um, was trying so hard to to sell Payet. The fact that he's managed to make him the central piece of his team, clear his mind and um, let him get on with it. And Payet has had arguably his best ever season. I mean, he's been really, really good. And it's not dissimilar to the way that um, he allowed Gareth Bale to take centre stage at, at, at Tottenham, for example. Um, you know, he's, he's someone mm. who's, who's been very good like that. I think he's made a couple of very smart, uh, tactical changes. The big one has been um, moving Bubakar Kamaru, who's best defender, into midfield as this sort of holding player, which has worked brilliantly for them. But other players who um, were either young players who were struggling to hit their p- potential, like Dulé, uh, Dulé Saleta Saar, um, or whether it be Stev Mandanda, who really not got back to his best since the move to Crystal Palace that didn't work out, but has been brilliant this season. Um, he's he's got more out of everyone, and um, you know that they will totally deserve to to make it into the Champions League, which they surely will do if 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 this season reaches an end at at some point. Um, so yeah. I, I don't think you can understate what a big achievement it is to to, to be able to do that. Yeah, he's done a really good job with... Um, I mean, I was saying this to you the other day. He's done a really good job with Dario Benedetto as well. Guys come over to Europe for the first time at quite a late stage in his career, and it could have been a really difficult transition for him. I think he's 29 yeah. now. Yeah, he's made a real contribution to, to, to the team this season, hasn't he? Yeah, and I, I do think the fact that Villas-Boas has 
uh, understands what it takes for a South American player to, to to settle in Europe is is very important there as well. Something which, if you're the coach for a Portuguese club, you have to be really adept at. That's something that he's he's done really well as well. And um, Benedetto has been great. But I, I was I was saying to you just the other day, I think one of the key points of Marseille's season is probably about five games into the season. They're, they're playing away at Nantes. They get a penalty in the first five minutes. Benedetto, who's quite keen to get off the mark, takes the ball off Payet, sticks it on the spot, and then basically clouts it out the stadium. It goes so far <laughs> over the top, it's unbe- uh, unbelievable. Yeah. And yet no one blamed anyone. They went on to not win the game. But, you know, there was... It, it kind of reminded me of, you know, there were there were various issues during his season at Porto, for example. I mean, you, you look at the, at the start of the season, Radamel Falcao wasn't feeling himself at the start of the season. He didn't have any proper rhythm. He was getting quite annoyed with himself about it. And Villas Boas told him to take a step back and relax and it would be okay. Freddy Guarín, who ended up being really important in the in the run-in, he didn't play a lot in the, in, in the first half of the season as well. So I know people find him very easy to, to mock, but this is a guy who, in a few jobs, has proved himself really, really good with with individual players. Like I said, his impulsiveness is an issue. And I don't think that will necessarily ever leave him because that's part of his character. I mean, if we go back earlier this season when um, uh, Marseille brought in someone who's a specialist in selling players to the Premier League, uh, Villas Post got a bit twitchy and unsurprisingly mm. so. And he, he was pretty forthright in coming out and saying that in a, in a, in a, in a press conference as well. Um, but... On the other hand, it's, um, it's it's something that he's managed to get past. Um, and like I said, I, I think it's very, very hard to deny the evidence of what he manages to do with in, individual players, especially in quite unpromising situations. Yeah, I, I often think, and it's long been the opinion of several people at uh, Football Ramble Daily, both on and off air, that... Um, that VS Boas had a bit of a tougher time in the press over here than he would have done had he not been a quite handsome, urbane, multilingual, impressive, uh, high achiever. I think that that profile of human being does tend to get a few of the guys in Fleet Street uh, all frothy with uh, jealousy and uh, and rage. So that might have been why he got um, got a little bit of a short shrift. Not I'm not saying he was perfect or that he he he, um, he achieved millions and millions of different things, but he came to the country um, as as a young coach, as a promising yes. young coach. I think he was. I feel like looking back on it now, he was probably chewed up a little bit and spat out again. You forgot um, to say it, you forgot to say borderline aristocracy as well. Oh, exactly. So that's not going to go down well either. Yeah, no, true. <laughs> but I wonder if he'll come back and have another go at some point. But if he doesn't, then you know, good on him. He's having a great time at Marseille. And, and you mentioned that game against Nantes, which I think against Nantes, which I think was the um, the league game. They lost two games around that time. One was a league game. One was a cup game. But if it was the league game, um, that's the first league game they actually lost since um, they were beaten by PSG way back towards the start of the season. And they really had a go at PSG that day as well um, in a way that most clubs wouldn't. They were beaten 4-0. Um, but since then, they've been absolutely fantastic. It's a, so, it's a freebie, um, right? Moving from um, 
um, from one exciting youngish coach to another exciting youngish coach, but one with a completely different profile in terms of the fact that he's not itinerant, he's not moved anywhere. Um, and, and, and that's Simone Inzaghi, who's, who's doing a fantastic job at Lazio. We've, we've touched on Lazio on a number of occasions on OTC this season, but I thought this pause in the season would give us a good opportunity to look at him a little bit more closely. I mean, he's not, he wouldn't have even been in the job if it wasn't for Marcelo Bielsa's latest meltdown. Um, uh, and, and yeah, he's doing an absolutely incredible uh, job there uh, 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 in Rome, isn't he? He really is. And that worked out brilliantly for him and for Bielsa in the end, because obviously Bielsa has been having a, a terrific time in Yorkshire. Ever, ever since um, yeah. uh, it's a sentence that you never really thought you'd hear yourself say <laughs> it's not which is exactly why it bears repeating I, I, I would argue um, but yeah Inzaghi's been absolutely fantastic and I think he's been a bit of a slow burner because we're not talking about um, Cragnotti era Lazio um, really brazen and brash and spending although he did play on yeah yeah exactly but we're we're not talking about in terms of um governorship we're not talking about that that era of lazio in which they were big and brash and spent all the money they had and quite a lot that they didn't have as 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 well um because he's uh pieced together this team quite painstakingly really um and what's worked i think very very well for him is and we, we talked about sliding doors earlier that the fact that he's been able to keep onto the core of his team for a, a couple of years. Now, they've done so brilliantly this season that, um, to me, it seems enormously unlikely that whether they win Serie A or not, should it be complete, um, I would be amazed if he were to go into whatever form next season takes with um, the same team. So that's interesting. When you think of players like Milinkovic, Savic, and 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 one or two others. Yeah, I mean, what worked so brilliantly, really, for him is I think Milinkovic, Savic is a, a huge part of it. The fact that Lazio kind of overestimated the market there was out there for him. That, that they put um, uh, a nine-figure price tag on him, and um, basically there wasn't the level of interest outside Serie A that they really thought there would be. And he was a player who at the time, um, obviously there's the Cristiano Ronaldo exception and this was before that. Um, Even Juventus who were interested uh, and Milan were another one, they wouldn't have been able to do a straight cash deal. It would have had to be something loaned, staggered payments, all all that sort of stuff. Um, And it really had an effect on... Uh, Milinkovic Savic in in um, eighteen nineteen, I think uh, he was. Oh yeah, he dropped off a cliff form wise, didn't he, for, yeah. for that season? Last season, yeah. Yeah, he was. He was. He was really below his best. Um, but this season, he's been absolutely fantastic again. I think um, a pivotal thing is winning the Coppa Italia uh, last season. The fact that uh, Milinkovic Savic scored scored the winner in that um, was, was something that made a huge difference as well. But that he was able to hold on to these guys this season. So um, I think Milinkovic-Savic, uh, Luis Alberto, um, all important players and that have made a massive difference to, to them. Um, the midfield is, 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 is terrific. It's, it's, it's really, really good. Um, but it's, it's the way they move as a, as a unit. You know, they're, they're, they're such a good counter-attacking team. That's why I think it suits 
Shiro Immobile so well. Um, though I have to say one of the things that's impressed me the most about him this season is the fact that he can actually do stuff outside the penalty box, which wasn't always apparent in his his younger days. I mean, you look at him, 27 goals in 25 starts. There's another seven assists on top of that, which mm. which is a, a fair return for someone who's thought of as just a penalty box player. Um, so, I mean, this is their time. It's, it's the right time for them. And I think when Serie A broke, you looked at it and they totally deserved leaders. You know, they were, they were absolutely fantastic. Consistency has been unbelievable. And again, I think it's something we might have mentioned on here before, but um, with the return of Leonardo to uh, Paris Saint-Germain, there was speculation that he would want to take uh, Milinkovic, Savic, maybe uh, Adam Marisic, the wired player, and Inzaghi himself, over to Paris Saint-Germain should Thomas Tuchel leave. Now, I mean, Inzaghi has been linked with uh, Juventus before and who knows, maybe that job will be open again um, when, when we come into the next campaign or certainly in the next year. Um, Lazio have done well to hide Inzaghi for, for a while because he's not uh, particularly loud. Um, but, I mean, people can't go on ignoring Inzaghi. In he's, he's been absolutely fantastic for, for Lazio and it, it has been, you know, the greatest accident of, of, of fate for them. But I, I think he would excel at a bigger club. Ajax, The Hague, January 2nd, 1972. Kreifs receives, passes Kreis Weimar in one fluent movement. And then there is nothing The Hague goalie Tone T can do to save this one. Of all of Johan Kreis's goals, this is perhaps his most memorable. All right, I think when I was planning this show um, earlier this week, I thought, you know what, it's a good opportunity to have a bit of um, a bit of fun and, and a little um, little sort of departure from the norm. And, and Andy, then you you popped up on my WhatsApp and said, "Oh, did you know it's four years uh, this week since um, since Johan Cruyff passed away?" And I thought, right, we're going to get involved. In a bit of that. <laughs> By the way, as I say that, I mean, just to give people a bit of a flavour of what's happening, we're recording this quite early uh, on Thursday morning and um, the West Norwood, where I live in South London, is just coming to life. People are just starting to wake up and go about their business or, or their government-mandated one piece of exercise a day. Um, but also what's happening is it's bin day in West Norwood, so you might be able to hear the bin lorry outside the back of my house. <laughs> if you can, I apologise for that. But that's just to let you know that uh, it is real what's going on. Uh, we are we are self-isolating ourselves and recording from our respective homes. So if you can hear the bins in the background, um, I apologise for the colourful language. <laughs> it's, it's a first, it's a first uh, time for everything here on, uh, on Football Ramble Daily. And someone doing the bins in the background is certainly that. But anyway... I was just saying that, yeah, four years, as you said, Andy, that, that since Johan Cruyff uh, passed away. And it's a great opportunity for us to perhaps talk a bit about him as a player, about what his legacy represents and, and just what he's given to football um, in his playing career, his management career, his philosophy as well. Still a, still a character that looms large all over the modern game, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt about that. And um, it's something that, you know, we would have been discussing even more in, in in different circumstances because um 
it was um, it was it was set for it to be a national day of celebration in the Netherlands uh, this year for his for his birthday uh, on on twenty fifth of April, um, and um, a few days before that they were going to inaugurate a, a bronze statue outside the now named Johan Cruyff Arena um, outside the the entrance to that um, around the same time because it was going to be like a mini Cruyff festival. They were going to have a run called the the, the Cruyff Legacy 14K. Obviously, 14K after his his shirt number, as as yeah. well. So you know he's he's never far from our thoughts. And as well, I think you look at Barcelona going back to the beginning of the the, the podcast, and the fact that Kike Setien, despite in many ways, if you simply look at his CV, looking like quite underqualified for a, a job of the stature of Barcelona. The selling point was, oh, well, he's Cruyffian. Mm. You know, as if that's going to make everything all right because Cruyff is still the the comfort blanket and, you know, the ideological centering of, of what Barcelona is meant to be about. Yeah, and I think, I think it is worth pointing out for <clears throat> some of our younger listeners. I'm always really keen to to try and bust myths and, and and explain things that need to be explained if I'm able to do so. And for some of our younger listeners, it'll be a bit like what the, what I was like when I was a kid, which is, you know, you know about Johan Cruyff, you hear about him, your dad talks about him, and, and you understand that he was a legend in the game for for how good he was as a player. But but what is it about Cruyff, just for people who don't know, Andy, that, that makes him so important for football in, in a wider sense um well it's it's not just his quality as a player as you pointed out although <clears throat> you know there's there's an argument that he's the best european player of of all time um i think the style and the grace are a, a huge part of it and when you look at the line that runs throughout all of his career it's really about the fact that there's a philosophy and as there were uh, um as they were referring to it in Le Keep earlier this uh, this week, they were saying, um, uh, where, where is it? I've, I've, I've just looked up this quote. It's uh, an icon, an inspiration, uh, then a successful coach, um, simultaneously revolutionary and dogmatic. And I, I, think, mm. I think that's a really good way of describing it, actually, mm. um, because he was someone who was you know, prepared to go down in flames with his, with his principles. You know, he had his idea of how the game would be played. And now if you look at the, the two clubs in the world, arguably, who've got the most recognisable philosophy, on-pitch philosophy, is Ajax and Barcelona. And he made a huge difference. He made a huge um, influence in, in, in rolling that out in, in, in both those places. Um, I mean, I think people can forget sometimes um, because uh, Renus Meikles, of course, moved on after the first of Ajax, his uh, three European Cups in a row, that Johan Cruyff stuck around. He didn't go to Barcelona immediately. And he won mm. those three European Cups in a row before he went off to Barcelona. And in tandem with Meikles, made so much of a difference to to the way they they played the game. Then when he came back as a as, as a coach, um, I mean, I think it's, it's it's interesting to draw the parallel when we're talking about the Barcelona side of Cruyff, of when he arrived there as a player, and when he arrived there as a coach, because both arrivals 
were when Barcelona were also ranked, really. Because mm. when he won the title in his first season with Barcelona and they hammered Real Madrid in the Clasico and he won um, the Ballon d'Or that, that year as, as, as well in, in 74. I mean, they hadn't won the title for 13, 14 years at that point, Barcelona, which seems absolutely unthinkable now, doesn't it? Um, yeah, absolutely. And uh, then when he, he came back in... 89 as, as, as coach, um, uh, Jose Luis Nunez, uh, the, the president, was um, having arguments with everyone. He got rid of a ton of players and the coach. And when he brought Cruyff in, Cruyff was almost like a human shield for him, really. And then he said, right, okay, this is the way we need to play all the way throughout the club. And he set that philosophy and that idea of La Masia, the academy serving the Barcelona first team comes from there. So, you know, you think about the, the dream team in the early 90s and those four successive titles and um, Barcelona's first European Cup and all that, but it was actually the fact that he set the philosophy for the for the club going forward. And then I think you go on even later to when he'd like a post um, heart attack and surgery and all that sort of stuff. And when he sort of retired from frontline football, he continued to be an advisor and some would say provocateur. And he had a hand in Frank Reichard arriving at Barcelona, which I think fired modern Barcelona as we know them. Um, he had a hand in Pep Guardiola becoming the coach ahead of Jose Mourinho. Um, when when that happened back in 2008 and then when he went and worked with Edwin van der Sar at, at Ajax he put everything in place arguably to produce the great Ajax side that we saw last season to bring Ajax back to those principles of leaning on the academy and, and, and working with young players of a particular technical spec as, as he always wanted to do so his philosophy never stopped being involved in the game throughout his life whether he was player coach or when he wasn't even you know in frontline football anymore yeah absolutely and his and his and his presence still looms large all over football now all these things you're talking about here are still being felt all over European football. Uh, and, and one thing you didn't touch on is actually that even when he's not intending to influence the game, uh, he, he's still doing so. Because if you think about the lineage that goes through from Ajax through to Barcelona all the way through up to Pep Guardiola, well, Jonathan Wilson of this parish and other much more learned people about the game than me would say that, well, Jose Mourinho's philosophy is the anti Cruyffian. He's, yeah. he, he's, he's being influenced in, an, in almost an, an oblique way to do things differently because he doesn't like that philosophy, but his philosophy is almost a reaction to it. So wherever, whatever you think of how it, he, he liked to play the game and what he thought about the game, you really can't ignore it, can you? Absolutely. And I think the fact that um, Guardiola is, is, is probably the most um, iconic coach, certainly in terms of his principles on the game and what he believes football should be stylistically nowadays, he's a total Cruyff disciple. You know, he comes out of that era when um, Johan Cruyff was first coach of, of, of Barcelona in, 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 in the early 90s. And um, there's that great quote from Guardiola, isn't there? That 
he beat the he built the cathedral, and we're just maintaining it. We're just looking after it. Mm. It's typically high minded from Pep, isn't it? <laughs> sort of stuff exactly you expect to say as he uh, screams in the face of Nathan Redmond. Uh, <laughs> anyway, that's, I think that's pretty much everything for, for this week, Andy. Thank you very much for keeping me company and as ever, informing me, enlightening me and entertaining me. I hope if you're listening, uh, you've enjoyed it as well. Um, a final shout out for our patron, uh, patron.com forward slash football ramble daily. Lots of extra stuff on there. A chance to win a signed Paul Gascoigne framed 1990 England shirt as well. So don't sleep on that. Sign up between now and 5pm on Friday. Tomorrow, I'll be back alongside Marcus, Jim and Pete for the preview show. The Blizzard will be back on Saturday as well before we rock up on Monday and do it all over again. Uh, this, this coronavirus is not going to stop us, so make sure you keep listening, subscribe, download, all that good stuff, uh, and we'll see you next time. Thank you very much indeed for your company, Andy. Thank you. Was a Stakhanov production. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.